Baptism. This is an important issue. Uh, we get a lot of people who come to our church um, from a lot of different backgrounds, whether it's Roman Catholic, Presbyterian, Orthodox, um, and a lot of them have been baptized as infants. Yeah. And so there's a it's kind of sometimes different opinions on this topic. Yeah. So how do we approach that? Yeah. How do we how do we you know so we're a Baptist church. So what do we say about infant baptism? How do we deal with that? So um, yeah, I just want to kind of lay out in this video what infant baptism or what baptism is, mm-hmm. and we'll talk a little bit about how the infant baptism view I think conflicts with scripture and what why we hold to the believers only baptism. I guess you could say because. Even those who are infant baptism, Baptists would believe that believers who come to faith in Jesus at a you know older age should be baptized. Right. But uh, my background with this issue personally was I was raised Baptist, mm-hmm. and so I always just thought it was crazy that anyone would you know dunk a baby mm-hmm. in a, in a water. Um, I thought that or was crazy. Or a squirt gun during yeah. COVID. And yeah. I think I think my entire view of baptism was like, or infant baptism was the Roman Catholic, right. like this is washing away original sin kind of an idea. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't realize there were different takes on this. So I went to a Presbyterian seminary mm-hmm. and got my master's degree there. And while I was there, I took the class on you know sacraments and ecclesiology and all these things. And I realized, oh, there there is. I understand that there are different views of this, and I kind of understand and have an appreciation for why people that are Protestant hold to this. Yeah. So, but it didn't change my mind. I I wasn't convinced. Read the books and everything, and but I wasn't convinced. So, um, yeah. So that's kind of my background on that. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, so what are what are the basics of the infant baptism view? Yes, and I'll try to be charitable here. I I love you know people that are Presbyterian and mm-hmm. you know that are evangelical, but just had different views on baptism. It's not a dividing issue in, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but so I'll try to try to give you some of the basics of what's called the covenantal infant Baptist view. So it's not that your sins are washed away in any sense or original sin is washed away, right. but it's the view that you are as an infant being brought into the covenant, the new covenant. So you enter into the covenant people, which is the church, and so you have this sign of entrance into the covenant. And basically, how they would view this is, and hopefully, it's, I'm not painting with too broad of a brush here. But they would view uh, a lot of this is based upon continuity between the old and new covenants. Mm-hmm. So th- that there's there's not a huge distinction. Obviously, the work of Christ is a big distinction, but in the sense of how you come into the people of God. So you're right. in the old covenant. You were born into the people of Israel, and you were circumcised if you were male, and you are now part of the people of God. And so they would say circumcision is replaced now by baptism. Baptism is that new sign that says you are now part of God's people. Right. So it has to be applied to you when you come into the family, mm-hmm. which in their view would be at birth. Yeah. So I totally understand that. So the parallel with circumcision is really important. And um, it doesn't mean, in, the, in that view, it doesn't mean that you have faith that because you, you're baptized. It means that it's, it's a sign and seal it's of the covenant, and it's a looking forward to faith that hopefully will come in the future. Right. Right. But you can, at you know, when you get older, choose to leave the covenant people, mm-hmm. and you know, not be a believer. And yeah. then um, the household language is very important for the infant Baptist view, the covenantal infant Baptist view, which is that when there's talk of people believing in the Book of Acts, particularly, very often their entire household is baptized. So mm-hmm. what they'll say is, yes, there's never a time when a baby is explicitly baptized, mm-hmm. but if a household is being baptized, and that includes you know, older, younger people. This wasn't just necessarily one family, but would include slaves, servants, and their family as well. Yeah. You know, kind of a big gathering of people. They'll say, well, there had to have been in those households infants. 
And so therefore we can kind of assume yeah. that there's babies being baptized. So right. we see that in Acts 11 and Acts 16, Acts 18 are a few examples of that. Yeah. So um, yeah, we'll look at that more later. Yeah. Well, yeah, let, let's get into the words. So where, where do we first see baptism in the Bible then? Yes. Yeah, good. So the, the word baptizo is used around 90 times in the New Testament mm-hmm. and never once does it refer to an infant being baptized. And what often those who are, you know, covenantal infant Baptists would say in response was, is, well, that's just an argument from silence. It doesn't prove anything. Just because it doesn't say that doesn't mean it didn't happen. Okay, that's fair enough. Mm -hmm. But compare that to circumcision in the Old Testament, which is, you know, usually the comparison for those who believe in infant baptism. Over and over again. I mean, we do see like, you know, Abraham and his men being circumcised, yeah. right? We see them when they come over into the promised land, them having a mass circumcision. But there's lots of specific instructions given to the infant side of that. And right. it's said very clearly. Mm-hmm. And in fact, that the majority of the times it's referring to someone who's not yet able to believe. So it's at least, I mean, should should make us pause and say, is this, is there a reason yeah. that it wouldn't ever mention this if it was that important? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it originates, baptism originates before the New Testament. It actually originates as a, a rite of, um, at the conversion of a Gentile into Judaism. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's an argument to be made that baptism goes all the way back to Leviticus and these ritual washings they would do. But we know specifically that Gentiles were baptized when they came into Judaism. Right. So they'd be washed as adults. So even that original rite was tied to an adult, someone who has, mm-hmm. you know, the ability to reason at the very least, you know, yeah. and is making a decision to come into the faith. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time it appears in the New Testament is in Matthew chapter 3, mm-hmm. which is the baptism of John the Baptist, obviously. Mm-hmm. It's a very important figure in the New Testament, and clearly his thing is baptizing, right? That he's John's John the Baptist, Baptizer, right? Yeah, weed, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely Reformed Baptist. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, Matthew chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says... Then all, then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan were going to, out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Right. So John's baptism is one that is about repentance. Mm-hmm. We'll see later that it's not baptism into John's baptism wasn't uh, a guarantee of salvation or faith in Jesus, mm-hmm. but it was a precursor to Christ coming, and it was a way of saying, I want to be cleansed. Right. It's interesting if at that time they understood that a Gentile convert to, to Judaism would be baptized, mm-hmm. it was almost, I, I think, insulting to a Jew to say you need to be baptized. Hmm. And even he's he's in the Jordan River, yeah. so he's standing at that crucial um, boundary of the Promised Land mm-hmm. saying, essentially, you need to enter back into God's people by being baptized. Yeah. So yeah. the symbolism there is is very powerful. It's saying it's not enough to be born into God's people. You need to come to faith. Right. Or you need to repent of your sins. Uh, in Matthew 28, 18, the Great Commission, we see another key mention of the word baptism, uh, baptizo. Uh, Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So that the key phrase there, obviously, is baptizing them. So, But in context, you're seeing that baptism is part of the process of disciple-making. Right. You make disciples, and you baptize, and you teach. 
Yeah. Right. So this is part of someone coming to faith in Jesus. Seems to right. be the natural reading of the text. Yeah. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no. There's no way I would read that and naturally assume he's saying baptize people who have not understood and not believed in Jesus and right. professed faith. Right. So that's kind of it's a it's a part of the disciple making process. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to say here that in the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have a, a new kind of people being formed. Mm-hmm. Is there continuity with the old covenant? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's very important. But there's also discontinuity. Something new is happening here. Yeah. And the way that God constitutes his people is very different. Mm-hmm. The church, in other words, is not a it's not a nation. It's not yeah. a socio-political entity. Yeah. Um, there's no Christian nation today. Yeah. Obviously, we want to have a, a nation founded on we Christian wish. values. Yeah. yeah, but there is no place where you're born and you're automatically a Christian. Yeah. That's not how it works. Mm-hmm. The people of God are spiritual, right? You cannot yeah. be born a Christian. So um, there's an important degree of disconnect between the Old and New Covenants. And mm-hmm. even in the language of Jeremiah in the New Covenant passages, it ta- speaks to a change of heart, that the right. heart is going to be transformed, people are going to obey God's law, that there's new birth in view here. Yeah. In other words, regeneration is happening mm-hmm. for you to be part of God's people in that spiritual sense. Right. Now, in the Old Testament, you could be born a child of Abraham by, right, by birth. Right? So you could just be born into people of Israel because yeah. that was a nation. So, of course, you're a citizen. Yeah. And, and again, like this is the important point to make, but Judaism has always been an ethnicity and a religion. Mm-hmm. right? So yeah. to be Jewish could mean you practice Judaism or not, mm-hmm. but Christianity is not like that. Yeah. It's, not so, it's not something you can be born into. Right. Um, Galatians 3.5 makes a a point of this, right? He says, um, Paul says, does he who supplies the spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Hmm. So verse 7 is kind of, kind of key there, but right, those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. So what makes you a, a part of the people of God? It's what he's kind of speaking of. Right. It's, it's faith. It's believing. Mm-hmm. So you can be present in a church. right? It's like the famous you know, philosopher Justin Bieber said, right? Like just because you're in a Taco Bell doesn't make you a taco, oh, you know. <laughs> and just because you're in the church doesn't make you a Christian. Yeah. And so that we should understand that and realize that. Um, I think yeah, someone's going to be persuaded because of the Justin Bieber reference. Yeah, That's really going to help them. We're really hitting. Like, I didn't target get it until here. just then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's look at the Book of Acts. So the first passage we see in the Book of Acts where baptism is mentioned is Acts chapter two, right? Mm-hmm. So Acts chapter two, this is this comes up. <clears throat> and uh, verse 37, so it's, this is after Peter's Pentecost sermon, right? yep. at, the, at the end of his Pentecost sermon, and he's proclaimed the gospel, and people are responding. And so they, they're cut to the heart, and they ask what they should do, and in Acts 2.38, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, okay, so there's a baptism reference, so... Baptism and repentance paired, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So that's one thing we see that very often. And it's for the forgiveness of sins. Yeah. So it's not for some future thing. It's for, for now saying I'm, I'm forgiven right. and 
you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So baptism is tied to all of those things, repentance, yeah. uh, justification, and the indwelling of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. So it seems like bef- before you are getting baptized, you're repenting. Yes. Right? And yeah. Yeah. At the very least, that they're kind of synonymous. They're meant to be mm-hmm. synonymous, right? You, right? You're doing these together. And then verse 39 is the, the verse that's often used for those who would argue for infant baptism, mm-hmm. right? Covenantal infant baptism. They say, it says, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Mm-hmm. Now, so why is this not speaking to infant baptism? Well, there's a couple of reasons, right? So what does the yeah. promise refer to here? Does the promise refer to baptism? Is baptism for you and for your children? Hmm. Well, no. In, in the preceding verse, it's not just baptism that's in view. It's this whole promise that if you repent and be baptized, you're forgiven and you give the Holy Spirit, right? You right. give this gift of the Holy Spirit. Right. So Paul, uh, Peter's saying this gift that we've received is not just for us. It's for you. It's for hmm. everyone who believes in Jesus. Yeah. So that's, hmm. that's the promise there. And if you should baptize your infants, because they're in view in this verse, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's for you and for your children. Okay. Well, what are the rest of the verse? And yeah. for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. Yeah. So I, I think the obvious reading there is your children and those who are far away from God, God is now calling to himself saying, this promise is for you. Yeah. This promise is for you. Yeah. God's gonna, God was going to give you this grace, right? And you can receive this and, and be justified and have the Holy Spirit. So that seems to be a more straightforward reading of the text. And then verse 40, he says, right, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And then verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So mm-hmm. verse, that language is very important, right? They received his word and were baptized. Yeah. So it's not just baptism by itself, but it's so often paired with repentance or hearing the word, understanding the believing. word, you know, believing. Yeah. Um, so this just this passage isn't the strongest argument for infant baptism, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It actually seems to argue very strongly in the opposite direction. Interesting. So yeah. the the next use is in Acts eight, which is another interesting one. We won't go through every all like one hundred times it's used, <laughs> but I think it's so important just to see the overwhelming weight of evidence on the side of this is for believers, right? Yeah. So Acts chapter eight. I'm going to turn there. So this is the when Philip is preaching to the the Ethiopian eunuch, or sorry, after the Ethiopian eunuch, he's preaching um, to in the, in this town, and, and Simon believes, right? Simon, the the magician, who later is is he really a believer? I guess is the question. But he says, um, so let me see here. So verse twelve, Acts, Acts eight twelve, says, but when they preached, when they believed Philip, uh, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God. In the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So, again, believing mm. of the gospel is first, and then being baptized. And then um, we see in verse 16, it says, For um, the, the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen on any of these people, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Mm. So, again, there's a there's these are adults. These are people who believe in Jesus, have responded to the gospel, mm-hmm. and have the ability to receive the Holy Spirit. Right. And so that that's this is what it's meant to to be all about. Yeah. Acts twenty two sixteen. Right. This this is Paul recounting his conversion story. He says he, he recounts to him the words Ananias said to him when he came and and gave him you know healing. He said, right. "Why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on His name." So be baptized yep. and wash away your sins. 
So you can see why the Roman Catholic Church would say, oh, infant baptism washes away sins. Right. Clearly yeah. there's something about this water that is magical in some sense, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I think what's in view here is not that the baptism washes away sins, but that they're supposed to be a picture of the same thing, right? right. Baptism is you trusting in Jesus, professing faith in him, mm-hmm. having your sins washed away uh, through this this image, right? Yeah. Not that the water is efficacious to cleanse you, but that's mm-hmm. a picture of what's happened on the inside. Right. And it's tied to calling on his name, right? <laughs> which is something that you have to believe and understand to be able to do. Yeah. So, yeah. So, again, there's this clear connection between belief, repentance, and baptism. So, um, so yeah. So, that, that's another passage that we, that we see that's pretty prominent. Yeah. yeah. No, that's great. Well, so explain to me the whole household thing, right? Mm-hmm. What, what is it talking about there? What is it not talking about? Yeah. So, that, so, the household, I would argue it's speaking to those able, those in the household able to believe in Jesus. Hmm. So, it's just using the language in a way that common, you know, that we, we speak in these ways that we might be excluding certain people, mm-hmm. um, but we just kind of speak in general terms, right? right. So, for example, one of the, the big places people go to to say that, you know, that the household is being baptized is Acts 16, 31, right? Mm-hmm. Super famous passage, but this is the Philippian jailer, right. and, and they said, right, so the, the apostle said to the Philippian jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. So, okay, so first it says, you will be saved, you and your household. So again, the belief and the being saved is for you and your household. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that those who believe and are saved in his household would then be baptized. Right. Verse 32, um, they speak the word to all that were in the house. So the entire household is hearing the word of God. Now, right. does this mean that Paul is or uh, these the disciples rather are preaching to uh, infants here that they're they're going and preaching to the infants. Well, no, I think he's saying a general word is given. The whole household is hearing it. Yeah. They're able to understand this right um, as as Paul is proclaiming the gospel to them. Um, and then it says, verse thirty three, he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once. He and all his family. So there's the baptism of the entire family. Mm-hmm. And then look at verse thirty four. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in Jesus mm-hmm. or in God. So he's so the who's rejoicing? The entire household is rejoicing. Right. So again, does that mean the that babies infa- are yeah, the babies yeah. are rejoicing? Yes, like we got saved. Right. Well, no. Again, it seems to be there's two ways to take this. One is that there's no infants or those you know unable to understand in the household. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of a moot point, yeah. or that there are, and he's just speaking to those of those who are able to respond, right? Obviously, right. so yeah. So again, if you're going to say that even the infants are baptized, then even the infants are hearing the word of God, receiving it, and rejoicing along with the rest of the family, yeah, would be the logical way to read it. So yeah. no, I would just say it's speaking to those who are able to understand. Mm-hmm. And then also Acts eighteen eight is another one where it speaks to the idea of the household. Right, so Acts eighteen eight says Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believes in the Lord together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. So they, you know, the entire household is there, but it's tied to believing, right? So, so it's not just that his entire household is going to be baptized; they're also all believing. So, if entire household can believe, then whatever this word household means, it's referring to those 
able to understand, yeah. able to believe. So Strong, that's kind of, yeah. so yeah, just, say, just saying household does not automatically say there has to be infants being baptized. Yeah, yeah, that definitely makes sense. Let's look at a couple passages in the epistles, kind of round out the argument, hopefully, and to see, because that just kind of gives you an overview of the actual historical books and what's happening in them, mm-hmm. but it doesn't necessarily give you a lot of the theology behind baptism. Right. So I think going into um, Romans 6 and a few other examples will be super helpful. Yeah. So Romans 6 speaks to baptism, and this is one I often go to because look at what Paul is saying about what baptism is, right? So Romans 6, 1, he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? So the, the previous context is him speaking about how there's so much grace from God, right? Yeah. He almost makes it sound like because there's all this grace, then God just covers all of our sins, so maybe we should just keep sinning. Yeah. And he's correcting because that. grace is so good. And this yeah. is his reason for saying this is why you can't keep sinning, right. right? By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? So he's speaking to converted people, those who have died to sin, mm-hmm. clearly those who are believers in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And he says, do you not know, verse 3, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Mm-hmm. So when you're baptized, you're baptized into the death of Jesus. So that's the picture, is that you right. are dying yeah. to your old self. And not yeah. only that, but it says, verse 4, we were buried therefore with him in baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Right. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, he's saying you die with Christ in baptism, you're raised with Christ in mm-hmm. baptism. So yeah. when we baptize, we say buried with Christ, raised to walk a new life. Yeah. That's what we say. Um, and this was so that you can now be sanctified. And he's saying if you have been in this death, which is a pictured in baptism, mm-hmm. it's certain you're going to be resurrected with him. Right. Abs- I mean, come on. You, right. you're like, this is a certain thing. So the entire passage is clearly speaking to those who are believers in Jesus mm-hmm. and can have that confidence and to yeah. say, we're not going to live in sin because we've already died to sin. We're now slaves to Christ. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, how in this passage can you view this as speaking to people who have no ability to believe yet? Yeah. And just as entrance into the household of God. It can't it can't be speaking only to that. Yeah. No, I think that's important that it's okay, repentance and baptism, and then you're living a life that is continually being sanctified, right? Yeah. And so yeah, someone who understands the gospel would be able to do that and maybe not an infant. Yeah. 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 Totally. So. And and uh yeah, obviously we welcome infants into the the church and the family mm-hmm. of God in a sense. Yeah. Right? That we love them, we're raised, we raise them, but there's there's not necessarily the ability to believe until a certain age, right? Right. For everyone, that's a little bit different, but totally. First Corinthians twelve thirteen, another another interesting one it says, "For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, so we enter into the body of Christ by baptism." Right? Jews are Greek, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Mm-hmm. So the baptism is related to having the spirit, right? To drinking of the spirit or being in one spirit. Mm-hmm. So how can that be? something that is true of an infant who doesn't yet have the Holy Spirit right. because they're not regenerated. Right. Um, Galatians 3.27, mm-hmm. as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So mm-hmm. putting on Christ, being saved, yep. that's a t- t- word for being saved, right? So you're baptized, then you're saved. Now he's not saying here that every person who's been baptized is a true believer, mm-hmm. but he's speaking generally, right? Yep. And saying this is what it's about. Yeah. And so in that sense, we, we would say that's for those who profess faith in Jesus. Right. And then 1 Peter 3.21, 
right? He's, he says, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So baptism saves you again. He's not saying the waters save you, but this is a picture of salvation. Yeah. So for those who believe in have faith, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's an appeal to God for a good conscience. Right. So how can an infant do that exactly? Yeah. So again, there, this all seems to be pointing to you, you baptize those who profess faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah, definitely. Well, so real quick, can you just explain this to me? Uh, I'm going to read this. This is 1 Corinthians 7, 14. Yep. Um, it says, For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. So how, how does that fit into all this? How, how can that yeah. be true when we're kind of saying something that would seemingly maybe contradict. Yes. That. Yeah. So if the children are holy, then they should be baptized is often the, the argument made from that right. passage. So um, just by being born into your household as a believing parent, mm-hmm. there's something sanctified and special about them. Yeah. And so, yeah. yeah. So in context, he's talking about d- when do you get divorced, right? So mm-hmm. if, you, if you're if you married to an unbelieving spouse, mm-hmm. this the Apostle Paul, um, then, you know, you should stay with them, he says, because the natural assumption would be, given the how the Old Testament reads about interracial, you know, or, or interethnic marriage, mm-hmm. which is really not interracial marriage; it's about faith, yeah. right? But if you don't marry non-believers, you don't marry outside the covenant. So, what do you do if you come to faith and you're married to a non-believer? And he yeah. says, stay with them. He says, mm-hmm. actually, you're not going to be contaminated by them. They're made holy in some sense yeah. by your presence in their life, right? And your kids are too. Yeah. So he's connecting both of those in this verse. Mm-hmm. So if this were to be an argument for infant baptism, it really proves too much because it would then stand to reason that you should baptize your unbelieving spouse too. Right. 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 Because, because it's not just the kids that are made holy by that, that, by that parent, but also the spouse is made holy. Yeah. But no one that I've ever heard of would encourage an unbelieving person to be baptized right. simply because their spouse is a believer. Right. So I, I don't think that's what's being... I think it's speaking about the fact that you're blessed, you're holy... Because you have a parent who's able to teach you and raise you. You have a spouse who's willing to share the gospel with you. Right. So there is something very powerful about that. Yeah. And again, you're not contaminated by the presence of an unbeliever in your family. Right. Whether that's your right. child or your spouse, that yeah. God actually blesses them because of you. Yeah. No, that, that, make, that makes sense that just us walking in the light of God's word, right? That that would be a blessing to those around us, you know, yeah. sharing the gospel with them, like you were saying. Yeah, I think one other, other topic that is interesting with this in terms of the being part of the covenant people is the question of communion. Mm-hmm. And again, there are answers to this, but I think it is a, an interesting question, which is if, you know, baptism is a sign of coming into the covenant people, and then communion is the sign of the ongoing participation in the body of Christ, mm-hmm. then why would you baptize an infant but not allow them to have communion right. once they're baptized? So I think there's a, there's a disjoining there as well. And again, I've heard those arguments, I kind of understand them, but I think that's a, a good question for those who do hold infant baptism is why can you be part of the covenant in this way but not in terms of eating that meal together? Right, right. Well, we'll certainly address that question eventually, I'm yeah. sure. So.